It's an honor to share with you. Just um, want to read out of Daniel. If you'd open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. And if you would, uh, as we do on Sunday, stand and let's read the first eight verses together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, and part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasures in the house of his God. And the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning of the king of the Chaldeans, or the tongue of the Chaldeans, excuse me. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, And of the wine which he drank, so nourished them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this conference. Thank you, Lord, just for the work that you've already completed for us. Lord, a place to be reminded of who you are, refreshed, and Lord, your love. Lord, just to, to know that the battle is not ours. Lord, these things are, are really in your hands. And we thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have to just to get together to fellowship and to be, Lord, strengthened. And I ask that you would just bless the rest of this conference, continue as you have, Lord, just to minister to our hearts and minister to us through this word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated and... You know, I was thinking I had problems until I heard Dan talk. And I hadn't been in an Iranian jail. We do have some in our church that have. And you hear those stories and you think, I, I don't have anything to complain about. You know, the last year, though, has been stressful. I, I can't think of a more stressful time that I've ever seen for, for churches, especially, than, than this time. The pressure to compromise you know, the cancellation of the continued in our culture of anybody that speaks up, says anything. And I just think of one word that defines the church today, and it's divided. I think about our, our communities in America. I think about just the destructive hate that's going on throughout the world. The things that are being utilized, like General Boykin brought out, just the communist effects in our country that have attacked even all of our seminaries. You know, just yesterday we were in Princeton and went in front of the the, the president of, of Princeton, the house in which they'd lived, and it listed all of these names, but the first thing they said is that these Presbyterian ministers all had slaves, at least 15 to 16 that they personally owned. That's the first note. Then it lists these men. It's like the hatred toward Christianity. Anything they can do to just divide the church, whether it be through racism or through any kind of hatred or doctrine, but you just see what's going on in the church is people are deciding whether they believe this book is, is written by man about God or if this book is written by God for man. The separation of the, the, the wheat from the chaff is happening. And it's painful to watch the divisions in our church amongst family members. And what do you do as a pastor when you have those that are sick and those that are fearful and those that, I mean, how do you minister and try to hold it all together? When you have even the government officials coming after you. It's, it's not easy, I think, to be in ministry. But yet, it's the best time in the history of the church to be in ministry. I can't think of a better time to be a pastor than today. 
<laughs> I had a pastor in town. He texted me and says, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm so, so sorry. And I texted him back. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's challenging, but I can't tell you what a great time it's been as well. This is the best time I've ever had in ministry. Praise the Lord. Explanation point. You know, I texted back to him. But we know we're living in the last days. 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us that we are to know that in the last days that perilous times will come. And it's interesting, that word perilous. It's that Greek word, I'm sure you've studied it, fierce, dangerous, demonic. Describes a demoniac there in Matthew chapter 8 that was so fierce that no one could pass that way. For us in our town, that's what it's like going to the grocery store. You know, it's just like, it's a fight everywhere you go and the fierceness. But I do think as you read the list of the 19 things Paul mentioned in uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, those things I've never seen all at once around the world at the same time. Have you? I mean, I've read through this so many times. I, I, I always think, well... Yeah, I, I can see people lovers of themselves. Maybe they've been that this time and, you know, maybe since the 60s. But so narcissistic like they are today. And not just in one location, but like globally. Like this fear and it's all about me. The covetousness it mentions. And boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. You talked about the abortions of this country. I mean, just the things that you see in this list are happening. It's like describing our day. And it didn't, I don't think it all used to happen like this around the world at the same time. And so it gets me excited. I, I just think of this is really the, the best time to be in ministry. This is, you know, if, if Chuck Smith was here today or Chuck Missler, they would be jumping up and down for the excitement of the times in which we're living. Like, this is so great. Go out there and just do some more. But it's like you've been on the field for long. You, you, you've been beat up. You get tired. You get weary. You get discouraged. And you can grow weary in well-doing. And, and I think that what's helped me is understanding what time we're living in. What's going on today? You know, in Revelation, it talks about Babylon. You know, it's going to return as a city, as a political system. It's going to return as a religious system. It's going to lead the world into fornication and idolatry. And it's going to have, you know, the greatest judgment that God's ever given to a city. And it's going to fall. You know, Babylon, eight, chapter 18, Revelation. It's going to fall. All that they did, making merchandise, and all that they did in polluting the world and bringing idolatry. And I just think, what's that city like? You know, is it going to be in Babylon? Is it in Rome? And I've come to realize that I think Babylon is back, and it's in my backyard. And I, I, I really think it's interesting. Um, Bob Tyler, who's just been a, our lawyer, has been doing a great job. He called me last week. He says, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I've dealt with the county of Santa Clara. That's where we, we live. He says, I'm, I'm, I finally have the opinion that these people are absolutely evil. Like all they want to do is just destroy the church. They just want to wipe it completely out and just remove everybody from it. That's what they want to do. And he says, I can't figure out for the life of me when Newsom loses in this case, you know, just last week with Matt Staver and, and he has to pay out $1.3 million and and then they, they start making deals with all the churches. He says they've made deals with all the churches in this state except for one church. I go, who's that? He's all, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> he says, you know, I'm convinced the only reason that the county's doing what they're doing is because it's Babylon. I said, what do you mean? He says, they're, you know, the state of California is being run by the county of Santa Clara. I'm convinced of it. In fact, I don't think Washington, D.C. is actually running things. I think it's the high-tech companies in Santa Clara. They're calling all the shots. These people are in control, and they know it. They have more power. They are the kingmakers. Everybody, every email, almost all your emails go through there. By the way, they read them all, and they keep them even when you delete them. All the things that are going on on the Internet, all these things are being recorded, kept, copied. And, you know, all, all of it is, is something that they're building up. They're building a database and, and they're preparing. It's like Babylon. It's been rebuilt. These globalists, Bob said, the globalists are not where you think they are. They're right there in your town. That's the epicenter for all the globalism in the world today. And I thought, how interesting if it's true. I could see it. And I, I definitely experience it. The pressure's there. Every time I pick someone up from the airport to guest speak, they say, man, this place is just kind of dark. 
I said, yeah, welcome to our town. You know, this is a, everyone leaves and no one wants to come back. And when they come back, they go, I can't believe I lived here, you know. And I prayed many times, Lord, take me somewhere else. Like in Pennsylvania, where we call it America. I'd like to go live somewhere where you can actually, you know, have a, a nice life. My wife, we pray every year, Lord, could we go somewhere else? I mean, I've been failing for 20 years. Lord, could we go somewhere else? And every year, it's like, no, no. You know, we have seven kids. What do we live in the Silicon Valley? It's the most expensive place to live in the planet. Lord, please, can we go somewhere? No, stay here. And you know, it's a joy to be in God's presence. I'd rather be in his presence than to be anywhere else and in his will. And that's what I think about Daniel. If someone who didn't want to be where he was, but he didn't try to escape. He just became the man that God wanted him to be in the hour he wanted him to be it. And he really gave us so much prophecy about our Lord. You know, I think of chapter 9 of Daniel. I think of just the things that Daniel gives to us. It's so applicable today because I do believe Babylon is coming to your town too. You know, what's happening to us, it's going to happen to you. This is not, this is just a run through. The things that they've been doing, they're they're orchestrated, they're planned. What are we going to do? What do you do when you live in Babylon? How do you live in Babylon? I think that's what Daniel shows us. The first thing I, I see in chapter 1 is Daniel had a purity in his heart. He, he purposed in his heart to be pure before God, to not be defiled by eating the king's meat. He'd already prepared. He'd been ready. He'd been seeking the Lord. And he knew when this capture, enslavement, the temptation came, he was already prepared to refuse that which was evil. He knew what he had decided already to, to follow God in his heart. And I think of what's going on in our country, you know, and the things that are going on. And it's like, you know, the Lord's in control ultimately, yes. But what do we do to fight? How do we fight? I remember early on, I was just so upset. And I'm just like, what is happening? And I remember my dad called. And he goes, you know, there was a song in the 70s. And uh, he said, I can't remember the exact uh, band or the singers, but... In the song, they said, don't try to fight the darkness. Just turn on the light. And I thought, that's good. What does it mean? What does it mean? It just means share the gospel. Do what God wants us to do and, and have that purpose already prepared. You know, not so much what we're going to say, but I'm going to purpose in my heart today. So when the temptation comes, when enslavement comes, I'm already ready for it. I've already gone through the costs And I know the world is always wanting to make a deal. They're always wanting us to compromise just a little bit. And it's so important that we remain pure because that's where the power comes from. You know, the pure in heart is going to see God. We want to see the Lord. We want to be with the Lord. And we need to constantly be going through our hearts. Like 1 John 1, you know, we need to be confessing our sins. It's not like we stop sinning. We need to constantly be in that, that, that state of just, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And I do believe that's how Daniel lived his life. Constantly in that state, because as we'll see, he's a man of prayer. The result of him purposing in his heart that he was going to serve the Lord, we see in verse 9, he gets favor with the chief eunuchs. He has loving favor toward Daniel. And of course, he lets them for the 10-day trial to just have the, the vegetables. And after that, they were fatter in flesh than all the other princes, all those others that were, that were with them. And so he let them do that. They didn't have to eat the king's meat for the three years. And we see in verse 17, that the four children that did this, that is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them this amazing gift of knowledge and understand this wisdom, this skill and learning, wisdom. Daniel also had this understanding of visions and dreams. And that's what I think is the best part is when we obey God and we're close to God, we, we tend to get more gifts. We're asking them maybe for them. You know, I have seven kids and whoever's around me and asks me for stuff, that's who I give it to. If you're not around, it's like, well, it's all gone. You should have asked when I had it. And I just think when we're close to the Lord, he tends to give us those gifts we're asking for. And then, of course, the king in verse 20 of chapter 1. I just love, love this, how the king looked at, at, uh, at these young men. And in all matters of wisdom, understanding, as he inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians, all the astrologers that were in his realm. Not just the other young guys, but all of the current uh, administration staff. He's like, you guys, wow, you're better than everybody I already have working for me. You know, you have something special. And of course, that was the Lord's favor 
that was God's blessing on these guys because they, they purposed in their heart to remain pure. And I just think about the most important thing. We just did a parenting conference a couple weeks ago, my wife and I. We called it um, Parenting with God's Promises because it's, it's like it's not parenting with perfection because I don't know how to parent with perfection, but I know how to claim God's promises for my kids. And I asked some of the pastors. I know uh, Joe did a video, and um, I had my, my dad and uh, some, uh, some other pastors. And all of it came back, and as we showed the videos, one, one, one thing came through, I thought, really strong with all of those that were sharing. And that, if they can go back, what would they do differently? They'd spend more time praying for their kids. They'd spend more time with their kids. And I just think you don't get that time back. And it just reminds me how important that is. And it just caused me to reflect on my life. And purity was something that I didn't come up with on my own. I saw it in my parents. I saw how they lived their life. I remember in eighth grade, my dad called me in his office and said, I got something for you. and gave me this leather-bound Bible. I still have it today. I went home and I started reading the book of Daniel. Eighth grade, I stayed up all night reading the book of Daniel. I thought, man, this is really amazing. And that's when the Lord really began to speak to my life. And I saw, you know, being a pastor is just being a parent over lots of different people. That's what he is. You know, that's what a shepherd is. And I thought to myself, man, I never want to do that. I'm never going to do that. That looks really, really hard. I remember one day in high school watching my dad. We had a fellowship after a service one night. And he grabs someone, picked him up. And this guy's screaming as he takes him to the door and throws him out the door and says, I don't ever want to see you here again. If I see you here again, I'm calling the police and you're going to get it from me. Closes the door and walks in to start talking to someone. Everyone's like really quiet. I thought, wow, what'd that guy do? And later on, you know, the next day I said, so what did that guy do? He says, he kept picking up on the girls, you know, Titus 3 said, after second, third out of mission, you throw them out. So I threw them out. That's what you do. I think it's so important that we understand, you know, our example that we set isn't just to tell our kids to read the Bible. It's to read the Bible ourselves and to stand for things that are right and true and to not compromise in a world that's filled with compromise. It's so easy to compromise. The church is just, it's so Laodicean like. In our area, it's just, I can't even go to the pastor's meetings anymore. And I love these guys, but I see them just drifting farther and farther away from the scriptures. I remember opening up our church. I thought all the pastors would. Let's do this. This is going to be great. You guys, we're either pastors or we're hirelings. I had two of them come down and chew me out. And I told them, this is what the Bible says. It says, we're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints as the manner of some is. And that word manner can also be law. If there's a mandate or a law that tells us we're not to gather together, the Bible tells us clearly we're to continue to gather together. What do you say about that? Well, that's not how I interpret it, buddy. You know, how long you been here? You know what? You know what? You know what I really think of you? And that's, that's, that's how the conversation went. I thought, and you're a pastor? You know, do you have an ordination? <laughs> what? You know, it's it just, it's sad to watch. It doesn't mean we don't care about people, but I'd rather care more about what God's word says and to be obedient than to be disobedient in, to God. As I was looking at just what's going on in our culture and that list, you know, the 19 things in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, 6 says this, For as the sort that are which creep into houses and lead captive silly or immature women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. And I was just thinking about the culture today, Babylon today. How is it worming its way, gaining control in all of these homes? Because like that list hasn't happened before. Well, how does this happen? Who's worming his way into homes taking advantage of gullible and vulnerable women? I mean, how does that verse, what's Paul talking about? And you know, I see so many people today absolutely enslaved to their devices. I mean, think about what we call in, in, our, uh, in our town, we call it the fang. You know, it's like the spirit of the day. It's appealing to everyone's lust 24 hours a day at home. It's FANG. It's an acronym for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. It's the FANG of the snake. And that's exactly what it's doing. It's biting hold of people, and it's taking them captive. It's devouring them. I mean, women I've seen in the church, they're mad at their husbands. They go on Facebook and look up their old boyfriend, see how he's doing. You know, you see people, they, they're like, I want to buy that. Oh, I'm just going to go right on my device and hit click right here on Amazon. 
You know, and they spend hours and hours on Instagram. And I, I had a guy at our staff now. He says, you know, I, I looked at how much time I spent on Facebook a day. And it was like almost two hours a day on Facebook. He said, I deleted my account. Because I wasn't reading my Bible that much. I definitely wasn't praying that much. I'm like, I'm like that's like what women do. What are you doing looking at Facebook that long? That's a crazy thing, you know. But this is what's happening is the snake is in and taking hold of people in our churches, holding them captive. They're enslaved in bondage. You think of the pornography problem that we have in our church today. I mean, it's making more money than all the sports uh, industry in the United States combined. It's, it is the biggest thing going on still on the Internet. And it's, it's taking people by storm. It's continuing to do that. And we have to. I tried to get rid of my phone two years ago. I saw this coming. I'm like, I'm getting rid of my phone. And it was great for a while until everyone would see me and they'd be mad at me. What are you mad at me for? Man, I text you. And I had a flip phone. I'm like, well, I can't text back. You know how long it takes to do that on the flip phone? Exactly. So people stop texting me. And then when I call them, they don't answer. They don't want to text back. So I just got rid of that thing for a while. It's like, you can't get a hold of people. But here's the truth. What we determine in our homes and in our church today, I found, it's going to definitely show what our kids and what the people in the church are going to decide tomorrow. The standard we have today, and we hold that standard, they're going to be ready for the battle tomorrow. You know, I think uh, I've been getting ready for this for, for 20 years. I mean, I've gone through, I, it's like I, I hear my dad, and he didn't have any problems. And I call him and I say, I have all these problems. We had a child molester in the church. I've had church splits. I've had people hate me. I've had people steal money from the church. I've had drug problems and guys on staff do the worst things in the world. I'll bet I, I, could, I, have, I could beat any one of you with an assistant pastor problem. I can beat it. And I think, what on earth have I done wrong? And I remember just thinking, I need to quit. And I would try every year. And it's like, how is this helping? How is, what am I doing here? Someone could do a better job than me. And it's like the Lord would just say, well, that's what I want you here. This is where I have you for right now. And the Lord has been preparing. It's like David. He killed the lion and the bear. You know, he didn't, he didn't just go kill Goliath. He'd already been practicing. And that's what's going on in all of our lives. That's what these trials are doing. That's what these difficult things are doing. But we have to today continue to decide to be like Daniel is to refuse the king's meat. Calling idols, idols. You know, my wife, she calls the, the Apple logo. She's all, there it is. It's the bite of Eve right there. The evil fruit. I mean, it is. It is. I have a guy at our church. He's worked for Facebook forever. You know, we've been in the same room with Mark Zuckerberg. He knows him. And I'm like, I think something's not right here. And he finally admits, you know what? They are evil. They are. There's a guy who works at Google in our church for 13 years. He says their, their motto, you know, is don't be evil. But the problem is they redefined evil. And it's like they define what evil means. It's not what the Bible means evil is. They switch it all up. So you see these, the whole industry it's coming together. Our media in the last few months has all come together. There's a guy in our church. He works for channel, a local channel. And he says, you know, they used to have all these um, news reporters that would show up at our church Christmas Eve. I thought they were going to come to church, but they weren't. They were just coming to interview us and tell, tell terrible stories about us. But he said they, they no longer showed up in like sixes. It was just like one. And he said, because we've all unified. We figured we have the same politics. We all believe the same thing. Let's just share all of our resources. And so they have just one reporter going out everywhere else. And all these things are happening. Defund the police, close the churches. And it just reminded me of that book I read some years back. I think I might have even gotten it from here. When a Nation Forgets God by Lutzer. And it's like all the things that happen in Germany are the same things that are happening today. You know, stay away from the Jews. They say they got a, they got a virus. And then, oh, no, they're beating up the Jews. We'll protect you. Come over here. You know, defund the police. Church, close the churches. Like all the same stuff is going on that went on in the past. We just forget our history. Or they're not telling us the history. We have to go find it ourselves. But what God wants is for the church to be holy, to be set apart. If we're going to be effective today, we have to be holy. And that's the number one thing. We have to be preparing everyone to be holy. And that's why we teach them verse by verse. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 to go through the whole Bible. We've been doing that right now, having the church. And it's like the Lord prepared us. We've had leaks in our church. We've had problems in the church. I had only about five, 600 people in the church before COVID. And we uh, went through and we redid everything. We fixed the roof. We remodeled the pews and the sanctuary, everything. And then COVID hit. We also started a Bible reading program. And it was just great because everyone 
It's like the Lord knew he was going to open the doors. Now we have two services. We're looking to have to go to three. We have over 2,000 people that are desperate. Every week, people are coming to Christ. We've had over 300 people in the last few months baptized. And it was funny. My, my wife says... <laughs> my wife says, you know, look at all these people. They're just coming to hear God's word. Because it's not like you're Alice Shebeg or anything. I am Scottish, okay? I have something going for me. God's with us as we are with him, James 4. As we draw near to him, he's going to draw near to us. And Daniel was obviously looking for the Lord. He was longing for the Lord. He wasn't content to be in Babylon. He really wanted to be in Jerusalem, but what he really wanted was to be with the Lord. He wanted to be with God and to know that's our calling. That's where God ultimately has us to be, in home, in heaven with him. And to be thinking he can come at any moment. You know, like it says in 1 John 3, 3, that it purifies us, even as he's pure. As we're thinking on those things and we think he can come at any moment. There's just a real healthy way of living, knowing that the Lord can come back. And to be pure, so important. And I just keep thinking about that. You know, we... We've gone through a lot, and, and I just remember the problems starting to come in the church. And I said, you know, if we don't love each other, the harshest warning came to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. It's all about love. If we're not loving each other, and that is rebuking, that is exhorting, but doing it in love. If we're not loving each other, then we're going to miss out on the lampstand. Because as far as I know, there's no church in Ephesus today. Because they didn't repent. They didn't do what the Lord told them to do. They didn't redo the first works. They left their first love. So important that we continue to build up the church, build up our family. And it's like, I don't, Lord, I don't want anyone left behind. I don't want anyone to get lost. The second thing I, I, I love about Daniel was in Daniel chapter 2, you know, the, the dream Nebuchadnezzar has, of course, you know, the, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, you know, the four different kingdoms leading to the ten toes of the last days. And we just see that revived Roman Empire that's going to come up and then the rock cut without hands and comes, crushes it. Of course, you know, tell me my dream. Tell me the interpretation of my dream. The wise men, we can't. We can't tell you the dream. You've got to tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. No one on earth can do that. Yeah, you better tell me. I'm going to tear you limb from limb and destroy your home, turn it into a dunghill. Daniel hears, he prays, as he always done. And in the middle of the night, Lord, Lord showed him in that night vision of what to do. And just that prayer of praise that comes out of his heart there and in chapter 2. And then he goes, of course, before the king. And, and he says in verse 28 that there's a God in heaven that reveals the secrets and makes known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. And he tells him about his dream. He tells him about the interpretation of the dream. And, and you'd think that Nebuchadnezzar, even falling down and worshiping Daniel, should say, okay, thank you. I want to know your God. No, he's, he's still about himself. Then he, he makes an image in chapter 3 and has everyone bow down. And, of course, most commentators say Daniel, you know, is now second in command of, of the world, you know, of the, the Babylonian Empire and probably not around. And, and this image is built. You know, and, and it's solid gold and everyone's to bow down when the music plays and the word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that there's three of your wise men that aren't bowing. Oh, man, he's in a rage. Bring them to me. Finds out who it is. All right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you get one more chance here when the music plays. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. And their response in chapter 3, verse 16, the three of them answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful how to answer you in this matter. If it be so, God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And of course, he didn't like that. Full of fury. Heated up seven more times. Get his biggest, strongest men, as it says here in verse 20, he commanded these guys, the, the most mighty of his army, bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then verse 21, then these men were, they bound them in their, in their coats and in all that they were wearing. They take them then and they throw them into the fiery furnace. And of course, they get burned and die because it's seven times hotter. And, and then you, you see the result. 
of, of faithfulness and purity and, and not bowing, not bowing. And I think as we seek to, to, to yes, Lord, we want to be pure. We want to be ready. So when temptation comes, when pressure comes, we're not going to give in. And when the pressure gets on really heavy to bow, to give in to the, to the things that the, the world wants, we're not going to do it. And they, they're going to stand. They're not going to go along with the fear. You know, I've never seen in our country where leaders have gone along with like the media like they have to put such fear into people. Instead of saying, look, let's be smart. You know, what happened to, you know, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin D, you know, vitamin C in the beginning. And you hear them say one thing one day and the next thing the next. And then just the panic ensues and the people are in fear. How do you calm them down? How do you bring people? And the most important thing I tell people is God has not given you this spirit of fear. But he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. And you're not thinking straight because you're, you're afraid. And, and your brain doesn't function well when you have all these emotions that are driving it. And fear is an emotion, and you can't listen to that. You have to have faith. You can't have both faith and fear. It's impossible to please God unless you first believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You have to have faith. And if we're living in fear, then we're not living in faith. But the pressure to comply in every way, it's, it's heavy. It's like they bind you. And it's, that's what they did here. They bound them. And I've never really experienced, I think, what it is to be bound like that. Like, like, and I haven't been thrown into a jail. I haven't been arrested before. I haven't been handcuffed, at least uh, uh, not by any official. I think uh, my brothers used to do that when I was younger. But to be bound... Is, is something I think that we experience in different ways. You know, sometimes it's the crunch of, do I, you know, I got to take care of my marriage, my kids. You know, you got the church. I think it was Worsby who said, you know, you want a family that the church looks at as an example, and you want a church that your family wants to go to. And it's like you're trying to balance those two things all the time. In the midst of, a, you know, all the problems that are going on in the world, you're just trying to teach the Bible, and then you start getting fined. You know, you start getting threats. Like, we're going to arrest you. The DA called me, and he says, you can't have church on Sunday. And I said, well, why not? He says, just because. I said, because why? I mean, what law is there that says I can't have church? Well, that's what I'm told. Well, what do you think? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm just giving you orders. Not like I agree with them. I'm like, what? He says, I just got to tell you what you're supposed to do. I'm like, well, I'm going to have church. He goes, well, I'm supposed to tell you you're not supposed to. I said, well, if a little kid goes into the street... And a semi's coming by, you know, right next to our church, we have the expressway. And I didn't go out and save that kid. What would you think of me? And that kid got run over and I could have saved him and didn't do it because I was told not to do it. What would you think of me? He says, I think you'd be a terrible person. I said, well, that's what it's like not having church. Because, you know, that's how important it is. The most important thing in our society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to get that out. He goes, hey, hey, man, actually, I agree with everything you're saying. I just got to give you the rules. <laughs> so I start going to people in our church, you know, law official, you know, police, and uh, asking them what they'd say. And they said, well, you know, we're not enforcing the social distancing, so, you know, we're not going to ticket you. The sheriff might come, so we call the sheriff. So what are you going to do? Hey, we're not going to do anything. You know, we can't, we can't even keep up with the problems we have in our town, you know. And so I'm asking everybody, so, hey, let's pray about it. And the Lord gave me Psalm 73. And this is what he showed me when I was really, really praying about it, is that we can slip up when we start to look at the world. And it wasn't until, of course, the psalmist went into the house of the Lord that he remembered the death of the wicked, how in a moment they are taken down into hell. And what the Lord just spoke to my heart about is church isn't just about you. Or the people that I already have in the flock. It's about giving you a heart for the people that aren't there. Having compassion for those that are on their way to hell. Church reminds you. It's a beacon of light. It's like driving all around this area. Church streets are everywhere. Churches are everywhere. Because that's what America was built on. It was built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we forget that. We forget what God did here in this country. We forget the, the thing that we've been handed, you know, as pastors. And, and God's called us to teach and, and to, to minister to the flock. And so I'm like, okay, if the hospitals are open, the church is staying open. Because all the churches started the hospitals anyway, you know. So that's what I said, and we did that. 
And we, we, we kept getting pressure. The pressure kept coming in to comply. It's going to get worse for you. We're going to give you more fines. You need to sign this. You need to do that. And it was, it was hard. You know, I go back to the sheriff in the church, the police in the church. We have FBI and CIA. I'm like, what's really going on? He's man, I don't even want to tell you, you know, what's going on. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what to do. He's like, that's why I'm here. You should stay open. That's all I'm going to tell you. Stay open. You're doing the right thing. People need to hear the gospel. Don't listen to anybody else. I'm like, okay, if someone works for the CIA and tells me that, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you get that pressure. Lord, wait, am I doing the right thing? And all of a sudden, what happens? Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24 He's astonished. He arose in haste. He spoke and said, hey, counselors, did we not throw three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. He answered and said, lo, I see now four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. You know, how many times have we taught through that passage? For me, it's like, you know, we always say it's better to be in the fire with the Lord than to be outside without him. And it's like, you know, I don't want to be in the fire anytime. You know, I, I don't like the fire at all. But I will tell you this. What blessed me as I was studying this is, I, you know, being bound, saying, look, as, as my lawyer says, put a homestead around your house. They're going to come after your house. They're going to come after you. You're going to lose the church. You're going to probably get arrested. And I'm like, really? You know, and I got Ken Graves calling me, man, this is, I'm so jealous. I'm just so jealous. <laughs> You are so honored, you know. I don't really think of it as an honor, you know. I think of it as a little, uh, you know, painful. But you need to go through those thoughts. You need to decide today, I want to be pure. You need to decide today. I need to decide already, am I willing to lose the church? And I'm like, yeah, that's easy. I've been trying to get rid of this place for years. My reputation, well, I didn't have one. I don't care if I lose that. You know, sometimes I think it's our wives' fear. You know, and they need to be pastored too. I think we can look at the world around us and there's so many things we can begin to think about and we're neglecting the thing we know God told us to do. And then we're accountable to God. We're going to get in trouble. We have to be obedient all the way. And, and the Lord wants me to count the costs. He wants me to count the costs. I got to reckon the old man dead. I got to say, Lord, I am ready to die. I'm already, I'm already been purchased, but I haven't fully surrendered these things. And I had to go through and just say, okay, Lord, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. You know, and you, and you think, well, why be in jail, be away from the family, all the things you can lose. Well, if I give my life up, then never, nothing else really matters. I mean, it, that stuff doesn't matter because if I'm living for the Lord, it's, that's the way God wants us to live by faith. And I'll tell you, in his presence, what he begins to do when you surrender, though they bound you, though they throw you in the fiery furnace, what I found is the Lord just freed me from each of those fears. And I just was like, I was free. I don't know if it was the fire that took off the ropes or whatever they were bound with, or if it was the Lord himself that did it. I, I tend to think it was the Lord. I mean, you don't need these things anymore, guys. You're free. He, he freed them. They got up. They were on the ground. They were bound. Maybe they were hogtied, whatever it was. They get up and they're just fellowshipping with the Lord in the midst of the fire, in the midst of what should just incinerate them. Romans six sixteen. For you know not that whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you, you become who you obey. You become enslaved to whoever you yield. And I think about just the news as we've watched so many people they're yielding to so many things. You know, you watch Washington and you, we already know, you know, what they're yielding to constantly. And then you see the mayors across the country, you know, bowing down before these leaders of Black Lives Matter. And you think, what are they doing? What are they bowing? Who are they bowing down to? Is they're burning down the town and they go burn, you know, like the Portland, um, they try to burn down the guy's house, the mayor in Portland. And I thought you liked these guys. You were bowing down to them. But you see, you now are enslaved to them. But yield, in the Greek, it means to stand near or before. And I just think, who are we standing in front of? Who are we standing near? You know, in this case, these guys weren't going to stand near the idol. We're not going to bow down to that thing. And because they said no to the things of this world, they yielded to the Lord, they ended up standing right next to the Lord. And that's what God does. He meets you in the midst of your trials if you're faithful through the trials. But I spend most of the time trying to get out of the trials. I spend most of the time trying to fix it instead of just going, bring it on. 
bring it on. I remember just, uh, it was John MacArthur when he just came out and goes, all right, bring it on. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to say that. They really will bring it on where I live, buddy. <laughs> I want to ensue a riot. You know, they already hate us. But here's the thing that the Lord, he wants us to continue in his word. Continue in his promises, as Jesus said in John 8. If you continue in my word, as we continue to be his disciples, he says, indeed, by continuing in this fellowship, we continue having our devotional time, spending time with the Lord. As we know the truth, the truth is going to set us free. And we're going to see he's going to set all those free. You see, as we stand next to the Lord, he's going to bring other people close to the Lord. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar come close to the Lord. We see he wants this. He calls them out. And, of course, he has to call them out. They come out. There's not even a hair that's been singed. Their clothes is fine. Everything they threw him in, they came out. And he's like, okay, your God is the real God. We're going to follow you. I'm going to tell everyone about your God. And you can see the, 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 the thing that God wants to do is when we go through that trial and we're faithful in his promises, when nothing else will save us but his promises or we're going to die, that's when God comes through. That's when he shows himself strong. I remember I'm sitting at court, and, the, and, and our lawyer says, I, I want you to take the stand. Right? He didn't prepare me. I'm like, I'm not prepared to take the stand. No, you're going to do just fine. Just don't say anything dumb. You know, just take the stand. That's all I say most of the time. Look, don't put me up there. And I go in the court, and I, I'm sitting there in the back. You know, there's just a few of us, and my, my dad snuck in somehow, and the judge says, yeah, okay, you can come in. And I remember just, it was just uh, Carson, our staff, myself, and all the lawyers and the judge. And just sitting there, and I'm getting ready to go take the stand. And the pressure's on, just to compromise, to give in, just say, okay, I'll do whatever you want. It's easy to just get in that moment when there's nobody there with you, really. You're all alone. And there was just, you know, the three of us sitting in the back. And I open up my Bible, and I open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. You know, we call that Bible roulette. You know, I open up and there it is. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe into the saving of the soul. And the Lord just spoke to me. It's like, it's now it's time. Make your decision. And I just thought I could, I could have just folded. I could have just given in. And that thought was so, it's so strong. And I remember just thinking, Lord, I do not want to draw back. I don't want to be that person that cowers. You'd never do that. I'm going to put my hands to the plow and I'm not going to turn back. I remember I took that witness stand. I just prayed. I had no idea what I was going to say. And I was in there and I, I don't even know what I said, actually. I just remember him asking me, um, you know, what does a pastor do and what does a shepherd do? And I just began to, I had my Bible. I just began to share Bible verses and share what, uh, what a pastor does. And an hour and 20 minutes later, I was done. And I didn't have one objection the entire time from the prosecuting uh, attorney. And he said, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never seen anyone talk as long as you without an objection. I said, hey, pastors are, you know, they can go for hours. <laughs> but I remember the prosecuting attorney who just, you know, I think she just hates me. She just goes like, hmm. You know, just listening to the stories. You know, and I think I'd ask them, do you know who's on the Mayflower? You know, most people don't. I said, it's a church group. They were being persecuted. They were, they were fleeing persecution and coming to the new world. That's why they came here. You know, don't you know about the, 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 the founding of this country? The messages of Bay Colony, you know, the things that they set up. Don't you know about the great awakenings that took place across, you know, this area? Don't you know all that God did in the history of this country? Do you know about the 27, you know, signers of the Declaration were pastors? They were in the pulpits every week. Don't you know that this country is founded by pastors that love people? They, they're the ones who help start all the hospitals. And, you know, this is what a shepherd does. He doesn't shepherd through Zoom. He has to be with people. You know, we got we a fellowship. Acts 2.42. We got to be together. That's what, that's what we need. You know, just for, for, for an hour. And it was, it was just... The Lord showed up and he gave me strength. And he just, he'll do that for us. The pressure is not going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's not, it's, and I think just like the general said, it's going to get worse. Because I think with, in our, our area, it's going to spread to your area. And you know, it's easy to say, Lord, please save America. And I think the Lord's saying, yes, I do. I want to save Americans. I want to save Americans. If we see it like that, then America could be saved. We need a revival. 
We haven't had one since the Jesus movement. What does it take to bring a revival? We've been praying for a revival for years. And I just think the Lord's been preparing all of us for such a time as this. He has been preparing you, just like he's been preparing me for for where I live, a place I didn't ask to go. I don't want to be there, but I just see God's hand in it. He's like opening this door. I walk through it, then the next door, closing this. Someone asked me, what's, what's a verse that God's shown you, you know, well, during this time? I said, verse? You mean like all of the verses? It's like the whole Bible he's been showing me. Like everything's coming alive. But, you know, John 14, 6 has really meant a lot to me. Just it's reminded me that the Lord has to show us. Not just that he's the, we know he's, he's the truth. We know that he's the, the life. But sometimes we forget that he's the way. He's showing us the way. He wants to show us which way to go every minute. He wants us to be in fellowship. He wants us to be hearing his voice. Lord, which way should I go? Should I answer this phone call? No, don't answer. That person's crazy. Okay, thank you, Lord. I won't answer that call. Should I go over here? Yeah, go over there. Talk to that person. You know, there's just a peace. You know, James 3.17. He gives us that wisdom from above. It's first gentle. It's peaceable. It's easy to be entreated. He's going to guide you with just a peace. It's not like an audible voice. But it's according to his promises. And yeah, this is what I believe the Lord wants me to do, to have that, that peace. In James 1.17, blessed is the man who endures, who remains under the load in the midst of the trial. Why? Because when he's tried, he's going to receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised for them that love him. And I just think, how many of us want to get a crown of life? But are we willing now to say, I'm going to stay pure? I mean, how many pastors does it take to make a, sh- you know, to make a shipwreck? You know, we can ruin our lives. We can ruin our, our families' lives. We can ruin the church if we're not living pure. If we bow and we compromise, we're going to shipwreck our church. We're going to do, do damage. We have to recognize the things that God's warning us and be sensitive to this Holy Spirit or we're going to get in a mess. God wants us to always be sensitive to him. And I just think, Lord, show me the way. It's been just a... A new revelation. Lord, which way should I go? Should I get up out of my seat right now? I mean, it's kind of one of those things when you're going through it. It's one thing if it's just a little while, but it's month after month. But more and more, I've just had the peace of the Lord. Why is that? Because I've seen what God's done. In Daniel chapter 6, it's, it's that story. You know the account of Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den. Why? Because he, he wouldn't stop praying to his God. And you know how Darius, he, he, he looks around and, and he, he, you know, he has this kingdom. He has all these things going on. He's got the 120 that are ruling the world. He's got the three governors that are in charge of those 120. And the chief one of those three is Daniel. And he loves Daniel. And everyone's jealous. And they can't stand it. And so what do they do? They find something to get Darius to, to throw Daniel in the lion's den. Because he makes a law and can't go against it. You know, he signs it because he wants to be worshipped for 30 days. You can't pray anybody else. And then verse 10, you know, it says in chapter 6, and when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house. And, and when the windows were being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. He always was doing this. Because Darius goes on to say, Daniel, in the God whom you serve continually. Daniel, the God whom you serve continually. He's going to save you. He's going to save you. Darius was brokenhearted for it. Tried to, you know, get him out of it. Couldn't. They throw them, throw him into the lion's den. Here he is, 90-something years old. Throws him down into this pit. Puts a cover on it. Comes back the next morning. And what does he find? Daniel, did your God whom you continually serve, did he save you? O king, live forever. He did. The Lord sent an angel and shut the mouth of lions. You know the story. But for me, it's, it's like the, the necessity to pray and to worship. It's going to be challenged. It's going to continue to be challenged. You know, that was the most satanic thing in all this. We were on a Zoom call with our county lawyers because I just said, look, I don't even know what your rules are. They change every day. They want us to go and look at their rules and listen to the health director of the county for an hour. Then listen to the governor who loves to talk as well, you know, for a long time. And to keep up with the rules. That's what they said. I said, how do we find out the rules? Well, you got to go to the website. I'm like, they change every day. Well, yeah, yeah, they change every day. But everyone's so appreciative of this rules. I go, well, I'm confused. You know, what, what's the rules today? Well, that's kind of, you know, okay, what's it going to be tomorrow? We don't know yet. We have to wait till tomorrow. And you have to watch the director for an hour and she'll tell you. I go, sounds to me like you're trying to replace the church. It sounds to me like you, you, you just think we're just physical, we have, we're spiritual. We have emotions and mental. Don't you know there's needs that people have? 
And so they, they heard me say that. And then, the, you know, the little people giving us the, the, the fines, putting them all over the windows. They went back and told the lawyers. So the lawyers, we had a little Zoom call. And they, they thought, well, let's explain this to you because you guys are confused. And I said, yeah, we are. We're confused. So I sat there with one of our board members and we're talking to them. And he says, no, uh, please just tell us what we need to do. What's your requirement here? So you don't keep finding us. Well, if you're going to be in church, because I think that week the governor let us back in church, you need to have everyone spread out and everyone wear masks. Okay, how does that work? Okay, well, we can do that. And um, you can't sing. <laughs> we're like, what do you mean you can't sing? Yeah, you, you just can't. You can't sing. Well, well we're going to sing. We're, that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's what the Bible says. I said, don't you know that Jesus said to the woman at the well, that the Father seeks us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't you know that Moses went to go get the people out of the children of Israel, out of Egypt, and he told Pharaoh, let my people go worship. And they were to go out and worship because it was all about praising God, that he dwells in the praises of his people, says in Psalm 22. And so I just gave him a Bible lesson thinking they would like that. <laughs> they, they did not like that. And they said, well, could you just hum? <laughs> and I was, t- you know, you're tempted. Mm-hmm-hmm. You know, and there are churches in town that were doing that. You know, they were doing all these things. And people were coming every week, every week, every week. People coming with tears. People coming at a guy who came to the church and he was going out. He tried to commit suicide. It didn't work. He said, I'm going to try it again today, but I'm going to go to this church. Evidently saw in the news. And he came in and received Christ. And he works for the county. <laughs> he was actually the guy that took the suicide calls for the county. And he was so depressed because he wasn't able to do his job anymore. And he's hearing all these people commit suicides. And so he got us all the information the county wouldn't give us. Come to find out they get 14,000 calls a month unanswered. And half of the suicide rates, we know, I mean, is it COVID-19? Because that's written on all these things. I'm hearing all these stories. Well, he's at the church now, so happy. He's boldly sharing the gospel with everyone he works with. He's bringing people to church. They're getting saved. And so I see just like the enemy, like Paul said, he writes to the church in Corinth, there's, hey, there's, there's an open door, a fervent, effectual door. It's open to me, and there's many adversaries. And you have that pressure at the same time. You have people coming to church just weeping, telling me, God, God just told me to come here today. I, what do I need to do? They come forward. They get baptized. They, they just first Sunday there. People driving by the church say, you know, I keep looking over there, and I just had this sense I needed to go. So I just drove in the parking lot, and then our family was there. And you, you had a service, so we went in, and we gave our heart to Christ. I mean, these stories are continuing to happen in the church. And we keep asking ourselves as our staff, we get together, what if we didn't open our church? Well, we know so-and-so wouldn't be here. So-and-so else wouldn't be here. You know, we'd be missing out on all the things that God's been doing. And I had to go back. And so in court, I'm like, look, I can't, I can't do what you're asking. Because God's working. He's doing this work. I, I, this is what I'm called to do. This is my job. This is what a pastor has to do. I'm accountable to God. And He's working. Why don't you use this as a test case? Because we haven't been doing any of the rules they've been asking, and no one's getting sick yet. Just come on over. They didn't like that either. They just thought we were crazy. And someone told me, a pastor in town, who didn't want to open his church, and he just did Zoom calls uh, or or Zoom things, but he said, you're supposed to record on Wednesday. Don't you know, Mike? And then you get the weekends off. Man, I've been going on vacations with my, my family. It's been great. I go, are you serious? You call yourself a pastor? He says, yeah. I said, well, you probably shouldn't anymore. That's just terrible. I can't believe you do that. We're standing in a day, we're standing in a day that, that, that God is longing for people who are willing to have hearts that are perfect toward him in these areas like Daniel. Like, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you my, my heart. I'm going to be pure. I'm not going to compromise. Lord, I, I, I'm not going to bow to the pressures as I see them going against your word. No, I'm going to do whatever I can to do what's right before you and to follow your word. I remember even in the court, Bob was encouraging me. He said, hey, you know what? If you just tell him you'll wear a mask, I think he'll close the whole case and you can go right back and just have everyone wear a mask. I go, well, my wife's not going to go to church. And then I don't want to go to church. Have you tried singing in a mask? We're going to sing, okay? And we, we can't do that. But he says, well, pray about it. So there I'm in the witness stand. And he says, okay, okay, now. And he holds up his mask. Tell him you're going to wear the mask. If that's what I wanted to do. He said, you pray about it. And I just said, you know, all that came to my mind was 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
that all we with unveiled faces are to behold the Lord and are changed from glory to greater glory. He said, look, if people want to wear these things and so forth, let them do it. But I cannot enforce them. I am not a police officer. I'm not a sheriff. I don't work. I don't have a badge or a gun. But I have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to inhibit anybody from coming in and hearing that because it's changing lives. Because we can save the body, but we can't, you know, you can't save the soul. Only God can do that. And be, be, be careful if we're going to start changing our culture, thinking that the government can now take the place of the church, that you now can save people. It's all about saving them. It's not the government's job to save people. Hope comes from Christ. It comes from the church. And that's the important thing of being open. And we've had a lot of people be mad at us. You know, a lot of people don't like me. I said, look, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. You know, I just, I just want to see God be glorified. I just want him to, to, to stand like Stephen when he's being stoned and, and to be on. I want to be honored by the Lord Jesus Christ. I could care less what anyone else thinks. I just don't care. You know, I, I do care sometimes what my wife thinks. You know, that's important. You know, I don't want her mad at me. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, look, I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do. And that's what the Lord wants all of us to get to that point. He wants us to be encouraged to do the right thing and to be bold and to trust him and to follow him. And to know that we're going we're gonna to be persecuted. But like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, Rejoice as much as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. When, when you should, his glory shall be revealed, we're going to be glad also with exceeding joy. We're going to have the joy that we always wanted to have. It was just intermittent here. But when we see the Lord and we receive the crown, we're going to be so thankful that we sought to honor him and for him to in turn honor us. I mean, that's just going to blow our minds. Lord, we don't need this crown. Don't honor us. But that's what we need to be living. That's what I want to be living toward. I want to be living toward, Lord, you are the one I want to honor. Because I know he can come back at any moment. I know he, he can come back this week. I'm just looking. And every day it helps me get through the week. Because I used to think, let's just take a break. But if Jesus comes back on Friday, I'm not going to be glad or, or, or mad or, or, or even care. We had church on Sunday. You know, if he comes back this week, I'm going to be glad that we had church on Sunday. And we were going through that every week. We were praying about it, encouraging ourselves. Say, what would the Lord want if he comes back? Such a purifying, you know, purifying thought to know he can come back. To say, Lord, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. And I'm not going to give in. And I'm not going to stop worship. I'm not going to stop praying. We're going to do it faithfully. We have prayer every night. We're starting prayer now every morning. It's the power of the church. It's the real, we had General Boykin. He came and said, you know, the real warriors in the church is the intercessors. And he's so right because I can tell when people pray. When people are praying, it's amazing. I thank you for all the pastors that called me and said, we're praying for you. I said, thanks. Do you want to change places? Can I come to your church and live there and you can come here? But now I'm at the point where I don't want to move. I love it. I love it. It's not all the problems, but it's the work that God's doing in, in his people and seeing transformed lives, seeing him work in people's hearts. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. I'm going to close just this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I have the checkbook of faith, great devotional. He titles it, Lead the Way. Quotes from Deuteronomy 28, 13, which says, The Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. If we obey the Lord, he will compel our adversaries to see that his blessing rests upon us. Though this be a promise of the law, yet it stands good with the people of God because Jesus has removed the curse, but he has established the blessing. If, this, if it is for saints to lead the way among men by holy influence, they are not to be the tail to be dragged hither and thither by others. We must not yield to the spirit of the age, but compel the age to do homage to Christ. If the Lord be with us, we shall not crave toleration for religion, but we shall seek to seat it on the throne of all society. He has, is he not the Lord Jesus made his people priests? Surely they are to teach and must not be the learners from philosophies of unbelievers. Are we not Christ who's made us kings upon the earth to reign? How then can we be the servants of customs and slaves of human opinion? Have you, dear friend,
taken up your position for Jesus. Too many are silent because of diffidence or shyness, if not cowards. Should we allow the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be kept in the background? Should our religion drag along as a tail? Should it not rather lead the way and be the ruling force with ourselves and with others? We need to lead the way. We need to lead the way, like General Boykin was saying, like Dan, to be proud of who we serve. And you know, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I remember when the judge looked at me and he says, look, can't you just do this for a while? Can't you just kind of like help me out here, you know? And, and I said, no. I said, you said you're a church man. You go to church. What did Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin when they said you can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore? Look, is it better to obey you or God? I have to obey God. Whatever comes our way, that's who's the one is in charge. That's the one that we're all accountable to. That's the one that we all need to recognize is a true savior. You know, I think that's what the, the leaders of our, our country, our nation, they're looking for. They're looking for boldness. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's chief of the eunuchs. I think he loved Daniel because Daniel, not only was he pure, but he stood up and said, I don't want to do that. He had conviction. He was bold. I think he liked that because it's so rare today. It's so rare in that day as it is in our day. God wants us to lead. I think leading the way is not easy if we look at it like that. But if we say, Lord, I'm going to, I want to be pure before you. I don't want to compromise. Lord, I want to make sure that I'm standing. No matter if everyone else bows, I want to stand. Prepare me today for that, Lord, to continue to do what I know your word and what your Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And Lord, I'm going to not stop worshiping. I'm going to pray more. I want to have more services. We've opened, we have more things going on in our church. I mean, it's like an epicenter for excitement. I mean, I have four other churches that are renting from us. It's like people are there all day long now. They come to, they come to church early and they stay all day almost. Like you guys, we tell them, you've got to go home. We need the parking spaces, please. And they say, look, I don't want to go home. I'll move my car down the street so I can come back. Because they're so hungry for fellowship. They're so hungry for the things of the Lord. And so I think persecution has been wonderful in our area. I think the fiery furnace is it's a blessing. But if we're not prepared for those things, man, these churches in our town that are opening up and no one's coming back. It's sad to watch. And I don't know what you can do or what God's called you to do, but do whatever it is that the Lord's put on your heart to do. You, we know we were blessed. We had our own property. We weren't renting. Our church is coming in and using our facility. They were chased out of every place. And he really had it when the lady showed up with a friend and the police stopped them from coming in. And they're, they're in an outside drive-in theater. This is months ago. And the friend that was brought went home and committed suicide. And this pastor said, that's it. I've had it. And so he called me and I said, hey, you need a place to come. Why don't you come and use our sanctuary in the afternoon? So he's been there now for the last several months. He's like, look, I can't let people die anymore without hearing the gospel. We need to have that kind of heart for the lost. Like the psalmist in Psalm 73, Lord, give me a heart for the lost. Help me have compassion. Lord, wake me up so I can see what you see. It's not just about church and the people I love and the people you love. It's about the lost people on their way to hell. Lord, help me to see them. And it's been wonderful to see what God will do. And I think he's getting ready to pour out his Holy Spirit. I've seen him do it in our church. I know he wants to do it. We just need to be ready for it. We just need to put that sail up because the wind's blowing. I encourage you, whatever that sail is for you, put it up. Do whatever you can and be bold. And don't care what anybody says. You know, it's, hey, $2.7 million, I don't care. We decided long ago, if they want it, we'll, we'll sell the building if we have to. Because it's more important. Every soul is more important than some building. Preaching the gospel is what we're called to do. And when we do it and we see the Lord, he's the one who shows up. It's like tonight, you know, I just have to show up. You just have to show up. At church, you just got to show up and just be faithful to open the doors and to do whatever you can do. And God's the one who does the work. 
He's the one that gets glorified like he did through all of these situations. It was the pagan kings that brought glory to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because of these young men and older men and all their lives that were faithful to do the things that God called them to do. Lord, I thank you so much just for each and every heart here tonight, Lord. And I know that we're humans, Lord, that need you. Lord, we're lost without you. We could do nothing without you. Lord, I just pray for that reminder of just the holiness that you, you want for us. Lord, it's, it's been just a, a, a long year. And Lord, we know that there's more problems awaiting us when we go back home. And Lord, there's pressures. And we just need that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we need to stand with boldness. But Lord, I know I can't do it without you. Lord, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't done anything without you. I, I can't go anywhere without you going before me. Lord, do that, I pray, for all of us. Go before us and lead us, Lord. Give us boldness, even as Paul had to pray for boldness at times when he was weary, like we all have been. And I thank you, Lord, for how you've answered all those prayers. Lord, though you take us through fire and water, Lord, though men ride over our heads, Lord, these things, these trials, these difficulties are all going to bring out blessings in our life. They're going to result in your presence and the things that you're going to do in and through our our ministries, our, our hearts, God. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're allowing us to participate in the ministry. Lord, may we be faithful. May we be faithful with what you'd entrusted us to. Go before us now, I pray, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.